0: Good morning, everyone. I'm going to talk about following God's path for this year. And I'm going to start with Psalm 65. If I can get my Bible up in here. And I would recommend everybody that's got a Bible, or if it's on your phone or iPad... Open this one up. It's really good. My focus, my focus is verse eleven, uh, but I'm going to go through a couple. So this is a Psalm of David. Um, he's talking about God's provision. Verse 5, by awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power. You visit the earth and water it, you greatly enrich it. Verse 11, you crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. So whose path are we supposed to follow? Your own? Your own? Your spouse's. It's got to be your spouse, right? Your parents? Your employer? Your employer? I got it. Your pastor? Right? Your pastor? If we are called to this church... Our paths should line up with his paths, right? God's path for us should line up with God's path for Pastor John, which should line up with God's path for the church. No, of course, we're supposed to follow God's path. Now, how do we find that path? Right? It's in the Word. God's path is in God's Word. Now, what are some important steps along that path? What would be a starting point? What is the starting point for being on God's path? Salvation, of course. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What would be an important second step? Being filled with the Holy Spirit? Not that I'm not saying it is the second path, but it would be an important second path or second step. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered in the heart of man the things that God has planned for him. But he reveals it to us by the Holy Spirit. How about tithing? Is tithing an important step? Definitely. Bring, we're told to bring our tithes to the storehouse, to the church. How about giving offerings? Yes. We're told to give and it shall be given unto us. Okay. Now I consider these to be really the starting points, the initial steps of faith and obedience along God's path for our lives. So let's make a commitment this year. And in fact, let's make a commitment to one another since we're all in the same body. Okay. Let's make a commitment this year to seek and pursue God's path for our lives. Okay? And what, according to this verse, is going to happen if we are on God's path? We'll have abundance, right? His paths drip with abundance. They overflow with abundance. That's how we know we're on his path. Right? If we are living in abundance. Okay? And why is, why is abundance important? Why is abundance important? We are blessed to be a blessing, right? We have to give to him that has need. We can impact the world for God when we have abundance. Do we agree? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you do have a plan for us, you do have a path specifically created for us. Father God, specifically designed and laid out for us individually. Thank you that as we walk down that path, you will bless us. Father God, as we, as we give our tithes and offerings today, we know that that is an important step along that path. And that step of obedience you will bless. We give it to you to honor you by faith and obedience. And we ask you to, to bless it and multiply it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this
1: morning, how many of you, uh, have like a, uh, tablet or a Phone or something like that where stuff pops up. You have things that, that uh, you, you, you've subscribed to and you've, you've, uh, you keep getting reminders. Some of them get really annoying and then I have to figure out how to turn them off. But one of my favorite ones, and I, I leave it on all the time and it, every morning a new word pops up, is my dictionary app. And it, 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 it comes up with a word for the day. Now, people, I, I've, I've thought, you know, I, I see these words, and they're really interesting, I love vocabulary, you know, I like things, and, and by noon I can never remember what the word was, <laughs> and I'll probably never use it again, except this morning. This morning, as I was getting ready, I heard the, heard the uh, alarm or the notification, and I it's, it's the same notification as some other things, so I didn't know what it was. I clicked on it, and I saw, I saw it was the dictionary word. and I went to just erase it because I wasn't going to spend time on it. And the word was GLEED. GLEED. G-L-E-E-D. GLEED. And uh, my first, you know, I try to guess what the word is before I actually read it. And I thought it was the act of making someone gleeful, or you know i didn 't know i I gleed them, you know i don 't know but I read the definition and it fit in perfectly with this morning, and it fit in perfectly with this year. the word gleed g l e e d and actually uh Lee, uh Eli wherever Eli went to i should have I should have told you this was the word this was the title. I blew it. You already printed them, didn't you? You didn't? Oh, good. Change the (laughs) title. It's Gleed. G L E E D. Gleed is the smallest ember of fire. It's like a, it's more than a spark, it's an ember. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do is start fires. I knew that I was going to get that reaction. It's not that, ooh, I like to start fires. No, not that kind of thing. But I I love going camping, I love being at our cabin, and I like starting the fire. And anybody who's been camping with me, anybody who's gone on the men's retreats or you've been to our cabin or whatever, uh, you know I have this challenge. I try to start a fire with the least amount of help as possible. I mean, anybody can start a fire with gasoline. and don't do it it's very dangerous <laughs> very dangerous don't ever do it not that i haven't tried it before i won't even tell you because i don't want to give anybody any bad impressions don't do it it's very dangerous. i actually have a friend who spent some time in the hospital because he was starting fires with gasoline don't do it so my goal is to start a fire with the least amount of help as possible so if it's the first fire of the week or the first fire of whatever, and, and there's and it's a cold place where I'm starting, my goal is to start it with one match. If it takes more than one match, I've failed. So that means ahead of time you have to prepare and have enough kindling and tinder and and burnable stuff. I love birch bark. Birch bark in in uh, in in uh, it it. Uh, guarantees good fire start. But if it's not the first fire of the week, if it's the second fire of the week, and I get up first thing in the morning real early, I never look for a match. My goal is to start that fire with the least amount of help as possible. So what you do is you open up the fireplace, or you go look at the fire, and it's completely burned down, isn't it? If you've taken care of the fire up until the point you stop, it all burns, which is good. You don't want fire starting in the middle of the night. But if you take something and you, you, you sift underneath and you flip it over, guaranteed there's at least one ember left. And it's my goal at that point to start the fire with that ember. This year. Remember, gleed. It's not the word for the year. Remember we said it's not, we're not gonna have a word for the year. We're gonna have a number of words for the year. Well, one of the good words for this year is gleed. People have sparks of fire in them. Now, it may have been from, uh, when you got saved when we're talking about spiritual things. It may have been when you got saved. And, and from that time on, that fire that burned very hot back then, may be only a spark left. Or it may have been from a revival at some point in time. Uh, if you've ever ex- been in a church, or you've ever been in a series of meetings where, where God gets, gets a hold of you, and He does something powerful, and He changes your life... And there's this, 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 you know, there's a, a raging fire, maybe even. I, mean, I still remember, uh, back in 1995, um, we were, had been being a part of the revivals that started in, in, uh, Lakeland, Florida. And, and that, then, uh, we had some meetings that came up here and, and God began to do things in our churches up here. And then there was an opportunity for us and we took our youth group and, and Jesse, was one of them. I don't know how many of you, Jesse and Billy and a number of others, some of, some of the adults. We went down to St. Louis, if you remember St. Louis. And, and uh, we went down to St. Louis and we stayed in this old cabins uh, in the middle of the, of the uh, Missouri woods. And, ding, 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 ding. It was beautiful, but it was these old cabins. And, and that night... The, the minister, I mean, there were, there were many thousand people at this meeting and, and that the, the one night the minister, uh, led of God comes off the stage and he, he walks all the way past all the front rows. We were in the back. Cause we got, you know, you get there at a certain time and everybody's there early and they're rushing. We're in the way back. He walked past everybody. Walked past everybody, came right in front of us, pointed to me and said, stand up. And began praying for me. And then he turns to Deb and says, stand up. Well, all I hear, because I'm already on the floor, I'm down for the count. All I hear is, filled, 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 fire, fire, filled, filled. And I know what's happening is he's backing Deb across the auditorium (laughs) because she's not going down. Because her, her thing is, there's no fake, man, no fake. And that's exactly the way it should be, no fake. God is God, He can do anything He wants. And He's saying, filled, filled, and I'm down for the count. And all, I keep hearing this, and all of a sudden I hear, I can do this all night, I can chase you all the way across the auditorium, <laughs> filled, 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 Till apparently she had her back up against the wall, and she was, couldn't go any further, and he prayed for her for a while and then he went, the rest of the meeting went on. And that night, we get back to the, to the cabin. Actually, it was one big room. If you, those that were there remember, we, the first night we stayed in one big room because then we cleaned the rest of the cabins because they were nasty. <clears throat> but we cleaned the cabins and then we stayed in those cabins after that. But we're in this cabin, or we're in this one big room, and everybody's sleeping on sleeping bags all over the floor and I'm just about to fall asleep. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. When, the, when Deb goes, John,
0: are you awake?
1: <laughs> I see a couple guys twitching. They know exactly what I'm talking about. Just when you're about to sleep, they want to talk. It's a wonderful time. It really is. It's, I look forward to it. I'm laying there, and she goes, John. I said, what? What's the matter? She goes, if I didn't know better, I would have you you take me to the hospital right now. Remember that? I said, why? What's the matter? And she goes, my whole insides are on fire. My whole insides are on fire. Have you ever experienced the fire of God? Have you ever experienced the presence of God so strong that it literally feels like fire shut up in your bones. The prophet said that. He says, I can't help but preach because it's like fire shut up in my bones. The fire of God moving in your life in such a way that it, it cleans stuff up it reignites passions, it it purifies God's Word in your heart, it purifies your heart to be able to receive God, God's Word and to, to walk with it and run with it appropriately. The fire of God. All week long. It's been interesting. I've said this before that many times when I'm Preparing for a sermon. I'm, I'm listening for God. I'm talking, you know, and, and I, but I also hear other people. You would not be, I, you would be amazed to know how many people this week walked up to me and started talking about fire. Every time I just, you remember the, the verse that says that Mary pondered these things in her heart? Every time I hear it, I just ponder it. I'm going, wow, God, what are you doing? And this morning, as, as I saw that word gleed, pop up on my screen, and I I was still getting ready, and I started to think about it. The Holy Spirit said there's a small flame, a small ember. And what do you need to do? When there's a small ember of fire, what do you do? Pour gas on it? Actually, if you pour liquids onto an ember, it can put it out. Now, the best thing to do to an ember is to blow on it. And the only one who can blow on that ember is the Holy Spirit. As we allow the Holy Spirit to blow on that ember, allow Him to let Him say, Lord, you know, it just—it seems like all I have is a, is a small ember left. Lord, I give you permission. Lord, this morning, right now, you could say that. Lord, this morning, I give you permission. I allow you to blow on that ember. Blow on that ember and create a fire. Now you still have to put stuff with it. You still have to put tinder with it and, and, and more fuel. And what is that more tinder? It's the Word of God. You put more of the Word of God in you. You give Him something to burn. You give Him something to ignite. You allow Him to, to fan that flame. This morning I pray that, that the rest of this sermon, which was actually the part I had planned, that the rest of this sermon f- begins to fan into flame. But it can't be just this morning. If you only fan the flame one morning the next morning, and you don't add any fuel, you don't, you don't feed that fire, the only thing that will happen is tomorrow it will be even colder. So this morning... Allow God to begin to fan that flame. Ask Him. Desire Him. Desire His presence in your life. And I pray that this Word, this morning, fans that into flame. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. This is a story about a man... Who let God fan into flame. It's the story of Moses. Now, this is Moses. We see him a little later in his life. He's over forty years old. He spent the first forty years in Egypt, being the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. <laughs> Do you know that when he was born, he was extremely insignificant? He was the son of a slave. He was the. He was the son of a slave. He had nothing in which he could say, "I deserve this. I, I plan on doing this. I plan on being here or doing that." He was nobody. And God took him in one moment from thrown away. Because that's really what, he, what they had to do. If, when, when they had a child back then, when the slaves had a child, Pharaoh was, was afraid that they were going to outnumber the Egyptians. And so when they had a baby, they had to throw him out and let him die. First he told the midwives to smother them. And the midwives, because they feared God, wouldn't do it. And so then he said, they, they said, okay, then, well, then, even after they're born, you have to throw them out. Well, his mother, praise God, technically did that, put him in a basket and set him adrift in the Nile. And in one day, he went from a castaway, a thrown off child of a slave, to the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. God sees you. God sees us. And we are the last, the least thing from, the farthest thing from insignificant. Your life is the farthest thing from meaningless. God is all into. Taking the, the small, seemingly insignificant, meaningless things in this world and doing amazing things with them. So, the first 40 years of his life, he is the adopted grandson of the Pharaoh. He's gone through all the right schools. He's, he's hung out with the right people. He's being groomed for leadership. And in the midst of it, he's not satisfied. He's not satisfied. He's not satisfied with the way things are. Because he knows who he is. He knows that God created him not as the son of, grandson of Pharaoh but as a child of God. One of the children of Israel. He knew he was Hebrew. He knew who he was. And in in the time that he was studying, in the time that he was growing up, somehow, some way, he got it into his mind that somehow God could use him to deliver his people. And he decided that he would do that. And he killed an Egyptian slave master. He killed him for beating one of the, the Jews. And not only did he get in trouble with the Egyptians, but he got in trouble with the Jews. They said, who gave you permission to, to rule over us? Who do you think you are? You think, our, you, you think you're our Savior? He got scared because not only now did the, the Jews rejected him, but also Pharaoh. His, the Egypt rejected him. And, and he, they, he ran away. Because what he had done is he had murdered somebody. And so he spends the next 40 years tending sheep on the backside of a mountain. So if you think your life so far has been meaningless and thrown away, and so far you think that your career choices have left you on the backside of the mountain tending sheep, you're in good company. Moses was 80 years old at this point. Think about that. Most people would be thinking about of a good retirement. Somewhere warm. But 80 years old, after everything in your life has fallen apart, going from absolutely nothing to ranking right up there in the whole world, because Egypt was running the whole world at that time. Known world. To then again, being the lowest of the low, because if you remember the story, the full story, Moses, when he went to see Pharaoh and told him that, I'm sorry, when, when Joseph, sorry, when Joseph, when they got there, remember that the Egyptians despised shepherds. He went from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high and back down to the lowest of the low. But in the midst of that, God wasn't done. God's not done with you yet. Say that. God's not done with me yet. (laughs) Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Some people don't want to burn for God because they're afraid that it will consume them. Some people think, well, I don't want to take that step. I don't want to let God set me on fire let's just douse that coal, let's get this... Because if I I actually flame that flame into fire, flame that coal into fire, then it just may consume me. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. I want to enjoy who I am. I want to live the way I'm living right now. I don't want to change. But that's not who you were created to be. You were not created... To be normal. You weren't. None of us were. Not a human being on this earth was created to be normal. Every one of us, from, from Adam all the way through, we were created to be supernatural. That is who we're, who were who God that was God's intent from the very beginning was that we were to be supernatural. We were to exist supernaturally. And when Adam and Eve sinned, that supernatural existence died. But Jesus gave it back to us. The best thing you can do is to let God fan that flame. Fan that flame. Because the more that flame ignites. The more it burns. The more of you that it consumes, the better off you'll be. Because all it's going to consume is the dead, dry chaff. Who you truly are will become refined. You want to talk about supernatural. In the midst of the bush, He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight by the, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw he turned aside, that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Have you ever been so close to God that you were afraid to open your eyes? If you ever been in the presence of God, <laughs> if you ever been in the presence of God, where it got so strong you didn't dare breathe, then you don't know what you're missing. God is not a God of out there in the universe somewhere just hoping you'll make it to Him. He is an all-consuming fire. And He's personal. He loves you. He knows you. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. It is possible... To experience the living God, not just in a, in a thought way or a, or a, or a desire way or a, you know, okay, God, I'm just gonna serve you. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do your stuff. I'll, I'll go do stuff for you. No, it's possible to experience God in a very personal way, a very tangible way, a very real way. Over the years, I've experienced God in ways that just it make you hungry. It'll make you thirsty. One night I was so desirous of God, I was just like, Oh God, I need more of You. I want more of You, Father. Father. I want more of Your presence. I want more of Your your power. I want more of You. Fill me, Lord. Fill me more. And in the midst of crying out, I heard this question, how much do you think you can take? And I was a young, inexperienced, foolish man. And I said, I think I can experience it all. (laughs) I was wrong. Because I... (laughs) He turned up the heat. I did some really strange things that night. It included jumping and spinning and hollering and... Running around in circles and things that you know a dignified minister of the holy of you know minister of God should never do. And that was one of the nights, one of the the times when the experience when when God was so real. I mean, who? He was so real that if I would have stayed in that place, I literally had to run out of the building because I thought I was going to die. And I got in my car, and as fast as I dared, I drove away from that building because I thought, I literally thought that if I stayed anywhere close to there, I was done. And I got home, and I was, I was physically affected. And I'm sitting there in the quiet of my home, and the Holy Spirit says, that was just a little bit. <laughs> I got to work the next day. Because this, this was in a meeting happened to be in front of a whole bunch of people. And a woman came up to me, because they were getting ready for the next day's meeting, she came up to me and she goes, Oh, Pastor John, that was amazing last night. I was thinking, gee, you don't know the half of it. And she goes, I'm praying and asking God that he'll meet me tonight like that. And I went, no, don't do that. <laughs> and he did. And she did. And she told me, oh my gosh, I had no idea that God's anything like that. Did you know that God was anything like that? We, we live in a world where we expect the, the, to see stuff and to feel the science. I believe in science. God went beyond the natural to show himself to a thrown out slave who was guilty of murder. A burned out, washed out shepherd on the backside of a mountain. God chose. To reveal himself to him. And from that day on, he changed. He changed. Turn over with me. A few more verses to Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and I ask him, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. You ever wonder why God answered him that way? Why did God say, When when he was asked, What's your name? And Moses, you know, Moses says, "God, what's your name?" And God answers him, says, "I am," because He really is. God really is. A lot of most people in this world don't even believe there is a God, or they're chasing after something they think might be a God, but there's only one God. And he is. Remember the verse in the New Testament? It says that to live by faith, the righteous one will live by faith. He first must believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He really exists. He is real. He isn't just an idea, he's not just a thought, he's not just a concept. We spent last year talking about doctrine on purpose. Why? Because then we'll really start believing that what the Bible says is true and that he really is. Well, okay, he really is. Why does He re- why did he reveal himself to Moses and say, hey, tell my people that I am, that I exist? Why? Because he's continuing on his plan. His plan from the very beginning was for man to know him. To know him, to really know him. Philippians, let's read that real quick. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 11 says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We don't know that Paul ever came into physical contact with the living Jesus. He probably saw him. He probably saw him as he passed by. He probably, you know, but it doesn't say he had any interaction with him to where he could get to know him. But right there he says, he says, I count everything. I count all the stuff I've done right. See, here's a guy who's done everything right. He was born into the right class of people. He was a Jew, the people of God. Okay, he's got one step in because the rest of the world was separated from God. Next, he was, he was a, a learned man. He got into the right schools, did all the right things. He, he even studied under the right folks. He wasn't a Sadducee. He actually believed there was an afterlife. He studied under the right people. He, he was under the, the guy to learn. All these things he did right. He says, according to the law, I was blameless. He did the law. He fulfilled it. He did everything he could do to live it out. He, he put his trust in the sacrifices. He did all the stuff And yet he says it's loss. It's worthless. Going to the right church is worthless if you don't know Jesus Christ. Hanging out with the right people is worthless unless you know Jesus Christ. Tithing, giving, serving the poor is worthless unless you know Jesus Christ. Know him not just know about Him, not just have heard about Him, not just have read about Him, even if you read about Him every day and you read about Him and you read about Him and you read about Him and wow, that's great. That'd be like if, if my wife had a journal and every day she wrote in her journal her life and this is who I am and this is what I've done today and this is where I'm going tomorrow and yada yada. And I found that journal one day and I read it and I read it and I read it but if I never met her, There'd be no relationship. I count all this stuff. I count all of these things as worthless. The only thing that's important, Paul says, is that I know Jesus Christ. That I know him. Psalm 24, or Psalm Matthew 24, there's a really scary verse. It has some really scary stuff in it. The sheep and the goats are standing there, and He's saying to the goats, Depart from Me. Why? Because I never knew you. What do you mean? God knows everybody. He knows the, the hairs on, He not only knows the hairs of every believer's head, He knows the hairs of every person who's ever lived, who's ever existed, whether they've just sought Him or not. And at the, at the judgment, He says, I never knew you. What does that mean? He didn't, he didn't recognize, Oh, I didn't realize you were born. No. There was no relationship. And it says there'll even be some who say, Well, wait a second, we did all this stuff in your name. There's all kinds of people who are doing stuff in God's name. And at the end, he'll say, Depart from me. Because it's about relationship, it's about knowing him, it's about spending time in his presence. But you don't have to spend time in His presence because you're scared to death. That may be a good reason to start. But that isn't the way you want to keep doing it. You want to keep doing it because you, you, you learn to know Him. You get to know Him in such a way. And how do you get to know Him by spending time in His presence? Yeah, but every time I get into His presence, I feel guilty. There's a reason for that. It's called sin. Deal with the sin. If you're not saved, get saved. I heard a young man one time. He had been uh, born again early in his life, got filled with the Holy Ghost, had fallen away from God, was running away from God. And a good friend of mine and I were sitting talking to him. And my friend says, "Man, he says, do you ever pray in the Spirit?" And he like, "Oh yeah." I says, "I tried it a couple of times. I get so convicted. I get so I just feel terrible." Good. We try to sugarcoat it sometime. If you're feeling guilty, if there's, if there's, and, and, and I don't mean condemnation that, hey, there's no hope. There is hope. That's the whole thing. It isn't about you feel guilty and you can never come back to God. That's a lie of the devil. But conviction of sin is healthy. Let God deal with you. If there's conviction of sin, deal with that sin. Hey, you know, there's a whole teaching out there that, oh, yeah, God doesn't do that anymore. Eh. As long as we're human beings, there will be a need to deal with sin. Deal with it. What's really true about that whole hyper-grace movement is the fact that He loves you, and He will do everything possible to restore that relationship. He's never going to banish you because He's ticked at you. That's true. But you know that you can separate yourself from God by, by, by pushing Him away and saying, God, I don't like, I just don't deserve to be in your presence anymore because I've sinned too much. You ever had the devil tell you that? You've sinned too much? Lie. It's a lie. And the only way to overcome that is relationship. Knowing Him. Knowing Jesus Christ. becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. But it takes a grooming, it takes a a spending time, it takes seeking after God. The Bible says that, that if you seek Him with all of your heart, you will find Him. Yeah, I, I, I tried to read this book about God, and I just it got old, and I just quit reading it. Well, then you didn't, you didn't seek Him with all your heart. I'll be the first one to tell you, I struggle with the same thing. How much do I have to do to just get there? You know, just be far enough. Well, with that attitude, you're always going to fall short. I'm always falling short when I do that with that attitude it's about knowing him. How much time do I have to spend with my family to be, you know, considered really married, you know, and having a relationship with my wife? Was that a couple hours a week, sweetheart? 5 6 hours a week, sweetheart? You try to pull that one over on your spouse. It becomes very evident very quickly that the relationship is suffering. This last two weeks has been wonderful. Spent more time with the family than I have in a long time. <laughs> One day, Deb goes, do you notice how happy I am? Yes, I have noticed. Now, just to keep it that way, that's, I need all the points I can get. one last verse can the ushers begin to pray, prepare for communion Exodus chapter 33 slide all the way over Exodus 3 is where Moses is introduced to God God introduces himself to Moses and Moses at that point can't even he hides his face he hides his face because he's so scared And now, this is years later, many years later, we have Exodus 33, beginning with verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. This is amazing. This is an amazing example of a man who went from the first time he meets with God, hides his face because he's scared to death, to a man who purposefully, he carries around an extra tent while traveling just so that he can set it up and spend time with God in it. And it's an amazing, beautiful example of a man going and spending time with God and God showing up, that pillar of fire that would lead them by, by night and that, that pillar of smoke by day. When he would go into that tent, God would come down and it says that he would speak to him face to face. And the whole time he was doing it, the people would stand outside their tents and they'd watch and they'd go, wow, and they'd worship God from afar. It's also one of the saddest stories in the whole Bible. It's at the same time one of the most amazing examples of of intimacy with God and one of the saddest stories in all of the Bible. Why? Because there's over two million people standing afar off going, Wow, it would be great to have a relationship like that. and the reason they were they were relegated to that kind of relationship was because it was their own choice if you remember how it happened god when he when they first brought them out of or when he first brought them out of egypt he brought them to the mountain and he told moses hey i'm going to show up in a couple of days get everybody ready and I'm going to show up on the mountain, and when I show up on the mountain, all of Israel's is going to see me, and they're all going to hear my voice. I want them to be my priests, and I want they're all going to be priests and kings, and I want them to hear my voice, and I want to have a relationship with them. And when God showed up, it was scary. Why? Why is it scary when God shows up? Because their sin was very clear and evident to them. When I first started seeking God, when I started really seeking after God, it just seemed like the more time I spent with Him, the more aware I was of sin. And it was really bothering me. And I was going, I don't like this. It seems no matter how, how close I get to God, the more I, I realize how sinful I am. And I thought I was the only one in the world that ever felt like that. It was really starting to bother me because I was starting to it was starting to hinder. That relationship. And one day I just cry, I cried out to Him and I said, God, I don't want that to be. This is wrong. There's something wrong here. How come? Seems like the closer I get, the harder it is to want to come into your presence because I, I see who I am. <laughs> I realize who I am. And I read an article a couple of days later. It's amazing that when you really see, if you see God with all of your heart, He'll be found by you. I asked him that question within just a couple of days, a very short time. I find this article, and I'm reading, and the guy says is talking about, man, he says, the more I see God, the harder it is, because I'm, I'm, I realize who I am. And he began to outline different men and women of God throughout the history that had, had, had gotten closer and closer to God, and the closer and closer they got, they realized who they were. I wasn't the only one. You're not the only one. Now we have a problem here. Because if that, the closer you get, the more you realize who you are, and it affects the way you seek God, you'll stop. And you can't stop. It's at that point when you have to have a revelation of grace. I don't come into the presence of God because I'm good. I don't get to come into the presence of God because in some way I've done something right and I've done, I haven't done anything wrong today. I get to come into the presence of God because He wants me there. And He made a way through Jesus Christ. He knew we couldn't do it ourselves. He knew you couldn't measure up And once I accepted grace, that's when I accepted that grace. When I accepted that grace, it was like it was wide open. Then it was about character. Seeking after Him daily, wanting more of Him. And there are definite long periods of time where I've not done that. And He still loves me. And He still calls to me. He still forgives me when I'm dumb. But these people didn't want to be around God because He scared them. And so they said to Moses, you know what, Moses, here, here's the deal. We don't. This is too much for us. You go spend time with God and tell us what He says and we'll do whatever He says. To me, that's the saddest story. Because here's these people who had the opportunity to have that kind of relationship with God every day. And they allowed one man to go experience it. And they were just happy. Whew, as long as I know that guy, it's okay. As long as I know so-and-so, because I know they really know God, and they'll be able to answer my questions, they'll be able to help me when I'm in trouble. doesn't work that way anymore. That wasn't the way I was supposed to be in the first place. It was supposed to be each individual seeking Him, hearing from Him, having the cloud come down on them. Glory to God. (laughs) Glory to God. (laughs) Have you ever seen the glory cloud of God? I have. You're going, I've never heard of this stuff. Oh, just watch. I was preaching one time. See, I don't, I don't tell a lot of these stories. Why? Because it isn't about what happens, it's about who happens. So I usually don't tell a lot of stories, but I also realize that if I don't tell stories, if I don't tell you what, what's possible, you'll never, you know, you've got to sometimes have to go do something, experience it before you can get a vision for it. Or hear somebody talk about, you know, how many of you had, had never been to Florida until somebody came back and said, It's warm. <laughs> it's warm in January. You don't have to wear all those layers every day. It's amazing. Or if you've never been on, you know, never been on a cruise and then somebody comes back to you, you can eat 24 hours a day. <laughs> until you hear the stories, until you hear somebody testify about what they've experienced, you don't even know it does exist. There's all kinds of things that you don't know exist. There's stuff I don't know exists. I want to know though. I was preaching one day, and I was, it was over at Abundant Life, and it's a big auditorium and it has big lights. It's a very bright room when they have it all lit up. And as I'm preaching, it keeps getting darker and darker. And as I'm preaching, I'm getting I'm getting upset because I'm thinking, who's dimming the lights? It keeps getting darker and darker. And I keep watching the lights, and there's nobody running the lights. I'm thinking. There is something wrong. It must be having a brownout here in the building. And the longer I preached, the darker it got. And the heavier it got. Now you might be thinking, heavy and dark. Wait a second, is that, is that God? Could that be God? Read the Bible. There are times, darkness is not always Bad. It gets so thick in the presence of God that it's, it's at times it's even hard to breathe. Heaviness on your shoulders. For me, it's I could feel a heaviness on my shoulders, a heaviness, and it's just warm and it's good. That day, it got to the point where I couldn't even see the back of the church because the, 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 literally a cloud was filling the room and it was getting darker and, and the, the anointing of God was getting stronger and stronger. And when I got done preaching, I prayed and I got done and I woke up and it was, I woke up, yeah. I opened my eyes and the lights were all back. But the presence stayed on me through that whole day. Moses would go every day, or, or whatever he would go to the, the tent of meeting, and he would spend time in the presence of God. But I want to show you something in that same passage. Whenever Moses went out, verse 8, Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the presence of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses, and when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his his tent door. And then verse 11 is absolutely amazing to me. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses went in day after day after day into the presence of God. He spent so much time in the presence of God that it sounds like For sure, at that moment, when he came out of the presence of God one time, they had to put a veil over his face because his face was shining. It sounds like, the way it's written, that that lasted the rest of his life. And that when he would go into the tent of meeting, he'd take the veil off. But whenever he'd come out of the tent of meeting, he'd have to put the veil back on. Because his face shone with the glory of God. That is possible. That's possible, folks. You don't know it. Have you ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? A man wrote about Smith Wigglesworth one day because Smith Wigglesworth every Saturday would lock himself in his shop. He was a plumber. He was a plumber. Not, I'm not saying, you know, just a plumber. No, he was a plumber. He was a guy. He was a regular guy who used to, every Saturday used to lock himself in his, in his, in his shop And he wouldn't work. He would spend the whole day in the presence of God, seeking after God, listening to him, communing with him, spending time, having a relationship with him. One day a friend of his had to find him, came, knocked on the door, and there was no answer. But he knew he was in there, because he was in there every Saturday. Knocked on the door again, no answer. Knocked on the door a third time. The door opened up, and Smith walked out. And the man says it scared him. It it just about drove him to his knees, because he was glowing with the presence of God. We don't know anything yet, folks. There's more. There's more. What do we know about Joshua? And I'm going to close with this. Worship team. What do we know about Joshua? Well, according to this right here, while Moses was spending time in God's presence, Joshua was sitting outside the door. You notice he didn't stay at his own tent. He wanted to get closer. He wanted to get closer. So when everybody else was staying a far distance away, Joshua said, no, I want to get closer. He couldn't go in for whatever reason, but he stayed at the entrance of the tent. And then, (laughs) whenever Moses would leave... Joshua would just hang out. What else do we know about Joshua? If you read the rest of that whole story about Moses and the things that he did, and then when Joshua took over, Joshua was one of the spies who gave the good report. Why did he give the good report? because he was just a big, burly guy who understood that he could take, you know, he knew he could whoop a giant. No, it's because he knew God. How did he know God? He spent time in His presence. We know that Joshua became the leader of the Israelites as they went into the Promised Land. Why? Because he was a magnificent leader? No, because he gave the good report. the book of Joshua, when God begins to speak to Joshua about going in, he keeps reminding him, don't be scared. Why? Because he had an opportunity to be scared. And he was a human being. The thing is, he knew God. And you read Joshua, you read that whole account of Joshua going in, leading the people in, fighting, all the things that went on. Joshua never blew it big. There's only one time where he did something just a little. it was just like, I'm going to do this anyway. And he did, he did it without seeking God because he was, so, he was so confident that no matter what he did was going to succeed. And he got a little too confident and he went into a battle and they got beat back. They, you know, they got beat. And he's like, okay, whoa, what happened here? He immediately went to God and said, what did I do wrong? Well, you got ahead of me. I didn't tell you to do it that way. But that's it. As far as I know, that's the only thing he screwed up on. Why? Because he knew God it was a relationship the invitation <laughs> the invitation for that kind of relationship is open to you and I well, I, wait a second but you don't know I'm, I'm not anybody and I've done this wrong and I've, I've really blown it and God can't possibly use me wrong remember what Jesus said? He says until or from the beginning until John the Baptist none has been greater than John the Baptist. John was the last Old Testament prophet. He was the guy I mean this was one of the guys that heard from God, did what God said, saw miraculous things. He said from the beginning until now none has been greater than John the Baptist. He was the best. He was the the most important. He was the strongest. He had all the stuff going for him. And he says, but from this day forward, the least in the kingdom of heaven is better than these. Anyone from that day forward who is born again is filled with the Spirit of God. You have every right to walk in the kind of power that every one of them did. And there's an invitation to do so. An invitation to know God in a way that they couldn't know him back then because they didn't have the spirit of God in them. But it has to take hunger. It has to take thirst. It has to there has to be an ember burning. of you, and now I'm speaking by the by the Spirit of God, many of you have been, have been feeling a burning within you. Now it may not be big, it may not be a, an all-consuming fire because I haven't seen you get up and run around yet. And you don't have to. I don't. That's not what we're doing here. We're just fanning it into flame. And it's getting hotter. It's going to keep getting hotter, not just because we're in Sunday service, it's going to get hotter tomorrow as long as you fan it into flame and then hotter on Tuesday, then hotter on Wednesday, and even hotter on Thursday. And then Friday, it's going to get really hot. And then Saturday, baby, even that much more. And then when we get back together next Sunday, (laughs) you get get around a bunch of other burning embers, and the wind of God begins to start blowing, we might just have a flame that's what it's all about this revival which has already begun we don't have to wait for it anymore it has begun you might think (laughs) you might might think well I don't see anything yet oh I know it it's because it's an ember and just because it's an ember doesn't mean it's not important because you can't get a fire without an ember oh that's don't despise small beginnings enjoy the small beginnings that way you can say I was there at the beginning you could be like Ananias and not the one that got killed. The one who was at Jesus' baptism or his, his dedication, his circumcision. Like Anna. They were there at the beginning and they recognized it and they they praised God. Simeon, I'm sorry. There was two Ananiases too. Yeah, I thought there was. Simeon and Anna. See? Here, I already blew my one time being perfect this year. Right there. I made it all the way to the last night, didn't I? Last night of 2014, I had not made a mistake. I blew it on that last night, didn't I, Kairos? <laughs> he told me I had, to, I had to confess it before the church. We were playing Catan. Catan. I said that the point total we had to come to was 14. He said, "They said no 13." I went, "No, it's 14," in my most, you know, authoritative voice, because if it was 14, then I would still have a chance to win. Somebody got 13, so I apologize publicly. But I waited till the last night. Now I've already blown it on the first weekend. It's not about being perfect. It's about knowing Jesus Christ if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have even a flicker of a flame yet, then I want to tell you that that relationship does not have to happen in a huge ceremony. It can happen in a choice. Yes, Jesus, I want you. I need you. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to keep going in this direction. I have blown it and blown it and blown it. I cannot do it myself. (laughs) I cannot do it myself. I need you. And this morning, if that's the decision you want to make, then make it. Then do it. Step over that line. Ask Him to come into your life. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Allow Him to be the Lord of your life. Because He... Paid the way. This ceremony that we do once a month is to honor and to remember what he did for us. He gave his body. It was broken for you and I. He said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, remember me. And at the end of the meal, he took the cup and he said, This is my shed blood for the, the the shed blood for the remission of sins. He did everything he could possibly do to give you the opportunity to know him. Take that opportunity. Take that chance. And when you get to know him, then get to know him better. Please stand. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna release you to start to receive communion. The worship team is gonna play a couple of songs. If you want to stay in worship, please do so. If you need to get going, please do. But we're just gonna we wanna keep the sanctuary quiet. Let people worship, let people seek God. Spend as much time as you feel a desire to do so. If you need prayer for something, if you need prayer for something, ask somebody to pray with you. Otherwise, you can come back to your seats, spend time in God's presence, seek Him. It's exciting what God is doing in our midst. It's exciting what God is going to do this year. He's already doing it, what He's doing this year. But it's about knowing Him. It's about knowing Him and the power of His resurrection. He didn't stay dead. He rose again. Defeating sin, death, once and for all. Let's pray. Father, we do come to You tonight, today, in Your presence. And we ask You, Father, to come closer to us. Your Word says that when we We draw close to you that you close the gap to us. Father, thank you for what Jesus did. We remember. And we also don't let it go to waste because the sole reason and purpose is for us to know you. I pray that each day this week we know you more than we did the day before.
0: In Jesus' name, amen.